Welcome back to What's on Your Mind. I'm Dr. Gene Bresson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we're child psychiatrists at the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Here's what we'll talk about today. Well, today we're going to talk about the fundamental challenge of middle school. And we have with us Dr. Gil Nome, who's a professor at Harvard Medical School and director of the program in Education, After School, and Resiliency, PAIR. Gil, now we all know how horrible middle school is. Why is it such a difficult, traumatic experience for almost everybody? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Gene. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Wait, I haven't said your name yet. That's okay. I can beat him to the punch. We can cut all this, of course. Go ahead. He looked at me. I we're, 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 actually, we're actually clones. So, you know, we, we, we actually, you know, we actually speak for each other. So thank you for having me, Gene and Steve. I'm, I'm really looking forward to our discussion. Um, it's a tough time. There's no question about this. Kids are just becoming something. They're not in the play mode anymore just as such, they are in puberty, they're blossoming, they are struggling kind of to figure out what to do with their parents and what to do with their peers. It's a vulnerable time. But it doesn't have to be that way. A lot of things are really extremely positive. A new life, a new experience, new ways of seeing the world having some perspective on the future. Well, Why are I'll, we seeing it only in negative terms? I'll, I'll, I can answer that. Let me, okay, let me, good, let me good give it a shot at that. Um, so when I think of middle school, I think of losing my retainer probably four different times when I accidentally left it on my cafeteria tray. I think of getting the part of the Tin Man only because I had braces. I think of the fact that the girls looked like they were 17 and the boys looked like they were 9. It was incredibly awkward. And I think actually my brain was still a 9-year-old brain too. So I was trying to compete with these 17-year-old brains. I, like, I don't see a way around this. What, what, do you, what have you seen that helps us get out of this? Well, I've seen a lot of things that are getting around it. I think institutionally our middle schools just don't work for most of the kids. That doesn't mean it would be difficult. I can show you many schools that actually have the same kids that are also leaving their retainers in the cafeteria, and they're still coming home saying, I had a good school day. Not every day. And what are the ingredients there? I think these are usually schools that have a community where the kids really feel like I'm coming to school, not necessarily to think about college in the future, but they're thinking about my friends. I'm going to actually be with kids, and my teachers are going to actually be really productive and positive about who I am, and I'm being seen as who I am. Okay, so let me ask you this, because one of the things that's happening in this country, I think, is that many parents and teachers are not necessarily teaching and training kids to be part of a community, but they're teaching them to be leaders, we all want the kids to be leaders, captain of the sports teams and president of the class and leader academically. So if we're really training them to be leaders, isn't that at odds with being a part of, of the community? It doesn't have to be at odds. I think we got the middle school years wrong because we are thinking of the middle schooler as an adolescent. And Eric Erickson and other really large, large contributors to our understanding of adolescence always focused in on identity. Who am I? What am I about? What's my future? But that little middle schooler is an early adolescent, and that person doesn't think so much about identity. That person thinks about inclusion 
Am I liked? Am I accepted? Am I wearing the right shoes? Do my parents support my friends? All those things become important. The community is important. And I think what we've done is we've individualized the experience of the middle schooler, making it seem like the important thing is the autonomous learner, the person who has to take responsibility for his or her life. The leader. The leader. The leader. So we, we're training our kids, probably for worse, to be leaders rather than to be members of the team and learn how to be inclusive and part of the community. But isn't it important for them to be leaders, Wait, what stars? Do mean, what do you mean for worse? Like why? Well, because what, what Gil is telling us is, is that if our focus is on being solo pilots, as it were, you know, autonomous, self-directed, then the kids at that age, now you correct me, Gil, if I'm wrong, may not be able to kind of understand how can I be a solo leader and part of the gang. How do I how do I become a team player if I'm supposed to be autonomous and separate? Well, well since cards on the table, since Gil was one of my teachers, actually taught me this stuff. I'm going to guess you're going to say something in the middle. You're going to say you can be mm-hmm. both. They're not exclusive. Yes, I think I think that's very true. But I think our culture is confused about this. Right on the one hand, we're being told we have to make our individual contributions. At the same time, we're told we have to work together at the university and hospitals everywhere as teams. And we have to, like, look what Google wants. Google doesn't want leaders. It wants team players. It wants people who are smart, who are able to communicate, who can work in teams and can bring a product forward as a group. That is where we are right now. And yet we are still thinking that the real thing is to bring out in the school like an individual that can lead and be the solo flyer. So actually what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, and I'm thinking of my mentors and my teachers, the best leaders are viewed as leaders but also as part of the team and almost as kind of peer supervisors. They make me feel good about myself in working with them as well as for them. Yes, yes, that's very much. That's very much how I'm thinking about this. And I'm also thinking about it as times in development where we specialize. And the young adolescent years are specializations around inclusion, around being team players, around doing things in groups. So if someone wants to be a leader, let him or her be a leader during those years. But let's be patient as parents and as educators and not freak out if our child doesn't show leadership skills at that time, but is really more comfortable being part of a team and feels like totally wonderful about being included in a group. So, so it's healthier, is what you're saying. It's actually better that they should be a member of the group than not at all. Whether they're the leader or not, the most important thing where our, where our energy should be is in making sure they feel like they belong to a yes. community. Yes, I, I definitely think that. It's really, And I think a lot of the pain that we remember about the adolescent years, the early adolescent years that both of you alluded to, yep. I, of course, did not have any of these experiences. That during that time, it is about inclusion versus rejection or isolation. Mm-hmm. And the kind of the fear and the things we remember is like being awkward, being different, and we want to just kind of fit in. So what are some of the skills that we adults, parents, teachers, counselors, can 
instill, can teach the kids to accept others, to help everybody feel as least awkward as they can. I mean, it's a very awkward time. I mean, your skin's breaking out with acne and your body's changing and you do feel awkward and very self-conscious. What are these skills that we can be teaching the kids to help them achieve the goals that you're, that you're looking at? I think we, we need to slow down one thing. We need to slow down. And I think in slowing down, meaning that we need to trust the developmental evolution, that if we give it time, the kids will move in the right direction. I want to give you an example. I have a friend who uh, has a daughter who always did her homework with a friend. They were always on the phone. And my friend was extremely worried about the future of his daughter, thinking that she would always need others to do her work. And he said, what kind of person will this be? I just may kind of jump forward mm -hmm. some years, and she went to an Ivy League school. She's extremely successful. She would always be dependent on somebody else. Exactly. And, and I, was, I gave him the advice with this kind of theoretical framework in mind that if you slow down, this is not a person who's going to be totally dependent and never going to be able to do her work by herself. Just right now, that is what she needs. And I think teachers often also say, you got to be autonomous. you got to do your homework alone. Why? If these are young people who really need each other to feel less lonely in the process of learning, let them do it together. So, so my dilemma now on hearing this as we wrap up, I kind of want to go back to middle school. If we could run it this way, I, I think that'd be more fun, actually. Like, I, you know, I wouldn't get made fun of for losing my retainer. There could be a club for people who lose their retainer. <laughs> right, so it exactly. would be great. <laughs> um, but really, for policy right. leaders, not just educators and parents, but policy leaders, if we could change this structure to match, actually, the 21st century, we'd probably do ourselves a big service. I think so. I think that, actually, we can learn from the middle school years, and we can learn from the middle schooler, and say that when we all feel supported and we aren't being told continuously that we're doing it wrong, so if I'm awkward and then I'm being told you're awkward because you're not doing it just the way you're supposed to do, how am I going to actually become more self-confident? And if you're more self-confident, yeah. then you're also a leader. You right. will most likely become so, so a leader. So it can actually be a building block for high school and college and the years beyond in terms of learning how to feel that you fit in and feel comfortable in your own skin in a number of different roles. Yes, and isn't that what happens to most of us? I guess that's why we're pack animals. One way or well, another. No, but I mean, I we, mean that's, that when you talk to adults and they talk about the experience, let's say, in middle school or high school, and it was a difficult experience, many of them grow out. The majority grows out of this and become confident adults. But we could do it in a more planned and a planned and intentional way rather than just letting it happen by chance, as it were. Yes, we have to dismantle what is now called the middle school years and have to create something much more radical, much different. We have to allow kids to come together and to learn, and to learn together, to learn alone, to use technology, to have teachers as mentors rather than as lecturers to have parents that really get involved and get excited and get supportive, but also know when to step back because the kids do need their own autonomy as well. I think we have a chance here, a real chance, where mental health and education also really come together. 
Well, thank you so much, Gil. This has been really helpful. And, and for everyone listening, um, if you want more information, come to the MGH Clay Center website and do go to the PAIR, P-E-A-R, website for more information about Gil's program. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye.